filling in for the day. Um, let's see. Got the announcements done. Anybody need a Bible? Greg's got some back there. Just slip a hand up if you need one of those. If there's any takers. Going once, twice? No. You good? All right. So uh, our text this morning is going to be uh, Matthew chapter 13, if you guys want to turn there. At least that's going to be our main text. I've got to stop in the Old Testament to make along the way. Uh, that's where we're going to be most of the time. And I have a note here, don't not forget to pray, because last time I forgot to pray. And my phone's on vibrate, because there's a very real chance that Nick's going to call me in the middle of this. <clears throat> We've had that conversation this morning. Um, so we'll, we'll pray again, and uh, speaking of texts, um, there's an update on little Priscilla. You guys may have seen that. Uh, so she's still in the hospital. The only thing we're waiting on is for her to gain enough weight for her to be able to leave. And, of course, we're requesting prayer, so we can do that at the same time. <laughs> uh, that's Nick. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, love you too, Nick. <clears throat> um, uh, Lord, uh, I just uh, thank you for the time today the opportunity that we have to gather as fellow believers and uh, just take a few minutes to look into your word. Um, Lord, I, I pray that what we hear today is what you have for us and that what you would like us to hear and uh, what you want us to learn today. So please bless the time. Please bless our, our effort and our attention in looking at your word and uh, for the stanchels and for Priscilla, Lord, that your hand would be on them and the entire family, that uh, things would go well, uh, that she'll grow, that she'll develop, um, and uh, just praise you, Lord, for the success that they've had so far, and we just trust, Lord, that your hand will be with them through the rest of this, Lord. So I ask you these things in Jesus' name. All right, so a uh, quick look at parables themselves, just before we get into this a little bit. So if you've heard parables taught, you've probably heard these things before, but a parable is basically an earthly illustration that we use to convey a spiritual truth. It's going to take something that's easily understood as part of our everyday lives, we can, can understand then, and use it to apply to something that's a heavenly truth, something that we can't understand as well. Um, that word actually comes from two Greek words, para, which means alongside of, and Ballo, B-A-L-L-O, which means to cast or to throw. So it actually is a story that comes alongside of a truth to illustrate it. I think we see this type of teaching throughout the scriptures, um, not necessarily parables, but God uses a lot of illustrations. He uses a lot of types and shadows throughout the scriptures. There's different ways of teaching. And this is just one of the unique ways that we, we see in scripture. So that's one. And the other thing that it does, it both reveals and conceals a matter. So... Uh, the purpose of it is to convey information and teach us something. Um, so it's revealing something, but at the same time, it's presented in such a way that if you don't want to hear it, well, God kind of leaves it up to you, I guess, to, to dig into it a little bit further to try to understand it. So it reveals and conceals. 
Um, the purpose is to convey. God wants us to hear something. God wants us to teach something or hear something. It's just a means or a mechanism or a particular way of teaching us something. He's not trying to hide some particular truth, but um, it's, it's presented simply and is presented in a basic form so you can understand it. So I'm pretty simple, so parables are good, but if you choose to see it and, and hear and pursue it, you can, but if you want to walk away and, and not hear it, it's a little enough information that, that you can do that. Um, <clears throat> I think parables are pretty deep. They uh, convey some pretty heavy truth. They're not just uh, casual stories. They're unique in their delivery method, but I think like all of Scripture, once it's delivered, uh, we're responsible for what we know. Um, they don't leave us in a place of ambiguity. God presents his word, and we hear his word, and, and once it's given in to us, uh, we have to choose what we're going to do with that word that was given to us. There's no back door. We don't really have an out clause. Um, we don't have an option to not choose to do something with it, because to not to choose is to choose in and of itself. The God's word sort of forced upon you in the hearing of it. Um, there's a book I was reading, and uh, he said something regarding a parable. It was a different one, but I think this is true of all of God's word. That He said, um, once you hear it, it forces you to declare yourself, meaning once God's word is declared to you, you make a declaration of sorts because you now have to do something with what you've heard. Uh, we're responsible for what we know, and there are consequences for what we know. We could look at some New Testament examples of that, but um, there's a, a lot of Old Testament examples. I mean, the, the Old Testament in its entirety is um, all through with his prophets, preaching to his people, going to Israel, warning them, and they ignore him most of the time. Uh, and in that, you see that there are consequences for their actions and for their ignoring him. They're, they're responsible. God holds them that way for the things that he said and whether or not they respond and do what he's asked them to do or not, which usually was repenting. So, just a little introduction. So if you would, just join me, me in Matthew 13. We'll start in verse 1 and we'll read right through uh, verse 23. So, uh, verse 1. So on the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. And then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell in stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing 
they do not see, in hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear, and shall not understand, and seeing you will see, and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts in turn, so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly, I say to you, the many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. And then Jesus explains what he just told them. In verse 18, Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what is sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. But he received the seed on stony places. This is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, uh, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty. All right, so there's, there's our text today. This is my favorite parable for a couple of reasons. One, I think there are several very valid applications of this, so much so that if you read a commentary, which I made the mistake of doing a couple of days ago, uh, get your head all twisted around a little bit because there's a lot of different applications here, and I think most of them are valid. Um, we're going to have a pretty narrow view of this today, a very, very focused one. Uh, but that's one reason I enjoy this one. The other one, uh, beyond the content of the parable, I think there's something about the structure of the parable and the circumstance surrounding the parable that uh, serves to teach us something. It's almost like the parable comes alongside of itself because a parable is a story that comes alongside of a truth to illustrate it. I think the parable almost comes alongside of itself in a way. But I'll try to explain what I mean by that. <clears throat> And Jesus did explain this, so I, I can't do it better than him, but just to recap. So the sower's God, the seed is God's word, and then the soil is the human heart. Um, and we're looking at, the way I'm going to approach this is we have at least four different hearts here and four different responses to God's word. And it's also, an, you could view it as sort of a progression of a particular heart or a regression, as the case may be. But ultimately, the question I have, I guess, is what do we do with God's word when it's sown on us? Which is <clears throat> what we're going to look at in a couple of minutes. Before we do that, I do want to look at an idea before we dig into that explanation a little bit. Yeah. In verses 14 and 15, Jesus quotes um, the book of Isaiah. It's chapter 6. And God has called Isaiah to go preach to his people, uh, repentance. And uh, Isaiah asks God, well, how long should I do this? And God basically says, paraphrase, he says, until the cities are laid waste and the land is utterly desolate. That's, that's the context of that quote there. And basically, God's telling Isaiah, I'm calling you to go preach to these people, but they're not going to listen to you. So much so, the cities will be laid waste and the land will be utterly desolate. 
which is uh, quite a calling. But that idea of, of people not listening and people not hearing, uh, I think, is important. So I'd like to explore it a little bit by looking at a story in the Old Testament. Uh, so actually, we're going to turn to 1 Kings, if you would, chapter 22. So you got uh, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings. So I should maybe apologize. I know it's a chunk of scripture. So guys, just, just hang in with me. I like huge chunks of scripture because it takes a lot for me to figure something out. So look at a big piece so we can make a little point. So what we're looking at, uh, Israel at this point is split into a couple of different kingdoms. You got Ahab, king of Israel in the south, who's a wicked king. And you got Jehoshaphat, who's a good king. These guys are meeting. So we'll pick it up in verse 1. This is 1 Kings 22, verse 1. Now three years passed without war between Syria and Israel. When it came to pass in the third year, the Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went down to visit the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth and Gilead is ours? But we hesitate to take it out of the land, of the, uh, out of the hand of the king of Syria. So he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to fight Ramoth Gilead? Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I'm as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Also Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, uh, Please inquire for the word of the Lord today. Then the king of Israel, Ahab, gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to fight, or shall I refrain? So they said, Go up, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. And Jehoshaphat said, Is there not still a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? So Ahab's got these 400 prophets, dreaded air quotes here. Uh, They're basically liars. They're phonies. Jehoshaphat recognizes that quick enough that they're not legit. And he asks, Is there actually still a prophet of the Lord here somewhere? So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, well, there still is one man. So I think Ahab actually recognizes that as well. He knows he's got a bunch of yes men here. But there's still one man, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord. But I hate him, because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. Um, I I think this chapter is actually pretty funny. Um, but he hates him because he never says anything good. Josephat said, let not the king say such things, probably re- recognizing that if he really is a prophet, Ahab may want to think better of bad-mouthing him like that. Uh, verse 9, And the king of Israel called an officer and said, Bring Micaiah, the son of Imlah, quickly. And the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, having put on their robes, sat each on his throne at a threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets prophesied before them. Now, Zedekiah, the son of Chenana. That's going to come up two or three more times, sorry. Uh, now I lost my spot. Ah, thank you. Uh, he, so he's made horns of iron for himself. And he said, Thus says the Lord, With these you shall gore the Syrians until they are destroyed. And this is too long for me to spend too much time on this, but I think the scene and the picture of these guys is probably quite a, quite a thing to see. Very dramatic in their presentation, no doubt. Verse 12, And all the prophets prophesied so, saying, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the king's hand. And the messenger who had gone to Micaiah spoke to him, saying, 
Now listen, I think this is more of some of a sidebar conversation here. You got these 400 guys in their regalia. They're all dressed up. They got horns. They're, they're very dramatic and pronounced, I think, probably in their proclamations. This guy brings Micaiah up. Probably has a little sidebar, I think. He says, now listen, the words of the prophets with one accord encourage the king. Please let your word be like the word of one of them and speak encouragement. In other words, Micaiah, I think, could, could you please, just this one time, would you tell him what he wants to hear? Everybody else is telling him this. Would you please just tell him what he wants to hear? Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, whatever the Lord says to me, that I will speak. And then he came to the king, and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramath-Gilead, or shall we refrain? I don't know how he said this, but there's something about his presentation here that uh, is obvious that he's not serious. I suspect he says this with probably a great deal of sarcasm. And answer him, go and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. And Ahab immediately responding to him. So, so the king said to him, How many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? So it's interesting back and forth here in, inside of Ahab. Ahab has a bunch of guys that he puts in front of him and assembles because he wants them to lie to him. He knows probably, I think, that they're lying to them, but he recognizes that there's one guy that does tell the truth. Then he brings Micaiah here. Micaiah is counseled to lie to him. But then, so he tells him what he wants to hear, and now he's mad because he's telling him a lie. But that's why he hates him in the first place, because he tells him the truth. So, if you can follow that. How many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? And then he said, <clears throat> I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains, this is Micaiah speaking, as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said to Joseph, Did I not tell you he would prophesy good concerning me, but evil? I hate this guy, he's thinking. So the next two or three verses are probably two or three of the most uh, obscure verses in all of Scripture. <laughs> it's right up there. Uh, so we're not going to spend any time on them other than to say, basically what's going on here is God has is allowed or caused or sent something, a, a lying spirit. He's, he's working here in these prophets to lie to Ahab. <clears throat> but if you care to read it, a commentary or something, is pretty interesting. But we're, not, we're just going to gloss over most of that. Uh, uh, so, verse 19, Then Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will persuade Ahab to go up, that he may fall at Ramoth-Gilead? So one spoke in this manner and another spoke in that manner. And then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said, In what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, You shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all of these prophets of yours, and the Lord has declared disaster against you. Whatever exactly happened there, I think the, the important part is we get is uh, Ahab's being lied to, and God had a hand in that in some manner. Uh, so now Zedekiah, verse 24, the son of Chenanana, 
sorry, went near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, which way did the spirit from the Lord go from me to speak to you? So Micaiah's getting some sarcasm back. Micaiah said, indeed, you shall go see on the day, that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide. So the king of Israel said, take Micaiah and return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, thus says the king, put this fellow in prison and feed him with the bread of affliction and water of affliction until I come in peace. But Micaiah said, if you ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, take heed, all you people. Just a few more verses. <clears throat> so the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, and this is another perplexing thing. I think Jehoshaphat's first mistake was holding court with this guy anyways, but why he agrees to this, I don't know. But the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, in verse 30, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you put on your robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. So Jehoshaphat looks like a king, Ahab doesn't. He doesn't want to be attacked, so he figures he'll disguise himself. Jehoshaphat agrees. I don't know why you do that. Now the king of Syria had commanded the 32 captains of his chariot, saying, Fight with no one, small or great, but only with the king of Israel. So it was when the captains of the chariot saw Jehoshaphat that they said, Surely it is the king of Israel. And therefore they turned aside to fight against him, and Jehoshaphat cried out. And it happened when the captains of the chariot saw that it was not the king of Israel, that they turned back from pursuing him. So they're hunting Jehoshaphat because he looks like a king. They figure out, whoa, it's not Ahab. So they turn around. Now a certain man, a random guy, draws a bow at random, flies to the air somewhere, and struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. So the whole thing's entirely random, and it hits the one spot on his torso where it could kill him. So the driver, he said to the driver of his chariot, turn around and take me out of battle, for I am wounded. Well, we'll stop reading there, because he dies. Um, <clears throat> so I, I enjoy this section a lot, because I think it's, it's pretty funny. Uh, but I think there's some application for us today, and, and some that come alongside the idea of the, the, the parable of the sower. Uh, uh, God, enduring God's word, doesn't make it less true. Not wanting it to be true doesn't make it less true. Not accepting God's word doesn't make it less true. Um, the, the phrase we saw in Isaiah of people um, shutting their eyes, you know, stopping their ears, their hearts growing dull, and not hearing what God has to say. Um, we can outsmart God, and he wins in the end, even though he had this elaborate plan. What God said is what he said, and what God's word says is what it says, and what God speaks is true. Ahab, again, he, he has these guys who he wants to hear what he wants to hear, even though he knows it's not true. He has a Micaiah put away somewhere because he knows he tells him stuff he doesn't like, and he hates him for it. But when he comes to tell him what he wants to hear, he's mad at him, demands that he tells him the truth. And when he tells him the truth, he still doesn't like that. So he locks him up, throws him in prison, and feeds him with the bread of affliction. I, mean, I guess it would be basically a bread and water diet. But we can do that, I think, in life with, with things. We can try to take things that we don't like, that we don't want to be true, that we don't want to acknowledge, that we don't want to deal with, and so to speak, lock it up um, and, and starve it. 
but it doesn't really work because God always wins in the end. Um, and I was thinking about this, and I remember times in my life, and just as a, some application and encouragement that, I don't know, there were scriptures that I didn't like. There were things I was doing that I shouldn't be doing. There were things I should have been doing that I wasn't. Um, passages I might gloss over. I might check out when pastor's teaching on something, and I don't like it, and I don't want to hear it, and I'm convicted, and I don't want to deal with it, so I just sort of gloss over it. But um, we shouldn't do that, because God always wins in the end, and what's true is true. So... That is a lot of reading, just to point that out, I guess. But um, I think it, it helps when we look back at Matthew, because the whole parable is about, you can flip there back there if you want, is about God's word being sown upon human hearts, and what do those human hearts do with God's word that is sown on them? Now, for simplicity's sake, while there's four different soils, I think we could safely divide these two divide them into two different groups. You've got one that clearly uh, bears fruit and one that clearly does not, and there's a, <clears throat> a differing amount of success in the middle too, but we could say that there's one that bore fruit successfully, however many each in each group here, and, and one that did not. So if that's the case, that differing response of those soils to God's word begs the question, that what's the difference? or Why the difference? It's four soils and only one seed. So what caused the difference? Uh, it's the same sower. Uh, it's the same seed. It's the same sowing method. It's the same sun, the same rain, the same climate, the same opportunity. So the only difference is the soil. So that would be the earthly perspective on our parable. It's the same Jesus, the same word. It's the same Holy Spirit. And therefore, the only difference in the story is the human heart. So again, what makes them different? So I'm going to ask that question a few different ways, which might make it more confusing, or might clarify. I don't know. This is how my brain works. So were the soils disposed, excuse me, predisposed to be what they are, and therefore the effect of the seed on the soil was predetermined? That is to say, it was a hard heart, and therefore this is what happened. Or, on the other side of that coin, does the response of the heart to the seed dictate the heart? In other words, if every heart has the same seed sown by the same sower and the same opportunity, does the choice the heart makes then define the heart? A couple more. Uh, so, do we have a description of what happened because they were different, or do we have an illustration of why they were different? Did I not receive and understand God's word because my heart is hard, or is my heart hard because I didn't receive and understand God's word? I don't know if that makes it more confusing. I think both of those things are true. I think if you come to the table with a hard heart, you're, you have a, maybe a harder row to hoe um, in receiving it, but you have to start where you are. And when you hear God's word sown on you, um, what you do with it is what matters. So the question is, what do you do? You, do, you do? What does the heart do with the word of God that's sown? Whether or not you come to the table as a hard heart or you come to the table with a good soil, it doesn't really matter. Um, I think the soil is dictated by what the heart does in the hearing of God's word. Uh, a couple of things to think about. So in the good soil, where it does produce fruit, it doesn't say that there weren't any rocks or potential thorns there that were just under the surface. There's no indication that this soil was perfect. Um, 
the first one, it does specifically say that it heard but did not understand. The middle two uh, soils, they both re they, they received it, but it doesn't say anything about understanding one way or another. It's just uh, some differing degrees of reception there. The last one, it says, uh, speaking of that, so it says, is he who hears the word and understands it. And uh, that word understand means to consider, to understand, to perceive, to comprehend, to put together. Uh, so there's a couple of different ways to look like that. Look at it. It's, it's a moment in time, a particular heart when God's word sown upon it. What does that heart do? Or you can also look at it, as I said before, a progression. Uh, so your, your heart, maybe you're hard, maybe you're not, but you hear it. What do you do with it? And if you receive it, and there's a degree of understanding there, well, um, this, uh, you may receive it with joy, and you move on and you progress. But if you don't stay there, and your understanding grows, and your understanding builds, you, you move on, and there's, there's things happening. And you have to be careful that you don't have the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches sneaking up in you and, and choking that word out. So there's this progression. And if you continue to endure, because I think that's one of the, the keys to this and one of the meanings and context of the word understood here, that you're enduring from, from wherever you receive God's word, you have a job to do or work to do, and it's effort and it's intentional that you don't just stay there. You don't receive it with joy, with a very shallow response and remain there because you're just going to have whatever you um, was sown upon, it's just going to get snatched away. If it's just joy, it's going to um, burn out because there wasn't any substance to it. Maybe you move on for a little while, but life gets busy. Life happens. No matter what we do, we don't care what kind of soul you are, the world is deceitful. Riches are deceitful. There's opportunity at every turn um, to have God's word choked out, but you continue to put together, as the word understand means, God's word, and you continue to, to build layer upon layer and truth upon truth, and, and you continue to walk and you continue to grow in the Lord until that fruit is there. Uh, so verse, uh, verse 10 and 11. <clears throat> so the disciples come after um, hearing the parable, and they approach Jesus. And Mark, we find out, it's not just the 12. There's the 12 and some other guys. But they come and they ask him this question, why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answered them and said, because it has been given to you, know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. So clearly he's making a distinction between these two groups. Um, so I asked, a different, or, uh, asked earlier the question, the idea of what's the difference between the soils? or the hearts. I think the only difference in the response and, and the outcome of that was the heart itself. So I'm going to ask the question here. What was the difference between these two groups of people? Why did one, why was one given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to the other one it was not? Um, and, and Mark, he, he says, to you it's been given, but to those on the outside, that is not. He differentiates that, that way. So by inference, you've got some on the outside and you've got some on the inside. So are they on the outside because they didn't ask, or is it because they're on the outside they didn't ask? Chicken or the egg? Um, well, answer my question. What's the difference between the two groups of people? This is how I see it. It's real simple. They asked. <laughs> I think that was it. They asked. Um, 
one bunch of people, part of the multitude, most of them just walked away and seek clarification. But this other group, they went and they sought clarification. What do they get? Well, they get the answer. That's the only, the only difference. The only difference between the hearts. God's word was sown on those four different hearts. The only difference there in the scenario that we're given that I can see is the soil or the heart itself. The only difference between this two group of people is one asked and one didn't. If you read commentaries, that'll get all muddied, and there's a lot of differing opinions, but that's mine. So you can be a Brian, certainly an ass, or a, you know, look into that yourself. Um, but I said earlier that I think the parable sort of comes alongside of itself and explains itself a little bit, because um, I think the, the uh, disciples are actually playing out the parable in real time. The, the parable is about what human hearts do with God's word that's sown upon them. And then we look and we see two groups of people. One walks away and then one asks for clarification. One seeks understanding. So they're actually doing the parable in real time. <clears throat> and in fact, <coughs> excuse me, uh, we're playing the parable out in real time. Uh, you are every time that God's word is sown. What do we do with God's word that's sown? Uh, we have a choice just like they did. And just to make it confusing, because this is, I enjoyed looking at it like this. So, <clears throat> the par- and then the parable, the parable is about human hearts having God's word sown on them. But we're reading a story about people who heard Jesus teach a story about God's word being sown on them. And then we get to watch what those people do with God's word that was sown upon them. And we're reading a story about the people. You know, it, it's, it's multi-layered there. <clears throat> and, and, and the other cool thing is they're having the word of God sown upon them by the incarnate word of God. So they sought clarification of God's word from the word of God. So, uh, I think that's kind of cool. But um, So application for us. I mean, it's, it's very simple. I mean, you, can, you can make this parable as complicated or, or as simple as you want, I think. Um, but question, what do we do with God's word once it's sown upon us? Um, the difference is the heart. The difference is the choice that we make. What's the difference between the group, two, two groups of people that we see here? One asked and one didn't. Um. A couple of uh, things I wrote. I, I plagiarized this completely out of a commentary I was reading. But uh, we make choices, and then our choices make us. If our hearts, hearts become hardened, it's because we've chosen to harden them ourselves. The hardening is the expression not of the divine purpose, but of the result of disobedience to the divine appeals. And that was written in the uh, context of uh, the story about Pharaoh and Moses. If you call that story, God calls Moses to tell Pharaoh to let his people go. <clears throat> and of course, Pharaoh says no a whole bunch of times. That's we see all the plagues coming in. And it says repeatedly through that story that Pharaoh either hardened his heart or his heart was hardened in the result of his actions. But the word harden in that story, if you look at the Hebrew, mean, it means that... Um, to strengthen or stiffen, which means that Pharaoh made his decision and then the Lord strengthened him in it. Meaning, so if we harden our hearts, God will strengthen us in that choice. 
We make our choices and then our choices make us. If our hearts become hardened, it's because we've chosen them to harden them ourselves. If in the hearing of God's word we remain unchanged, it's because we choose to remain unchanged. So the, the basic point I was hoping to get at today was, was that choice is the big word. It's us, up to us. We do what we do with God's word when we hear it and when we receive it. We get to make that decision and that choice. And we're not, the outcome isn't predetermined. If you come and your heart is hard, uh, your understanding of scripture is small, you're not saved, you're barely saved or newly saved, it doesn't really matter. You're not, it's not a predetermined outcome you get to choose what you do with it. And as that understanding grows, that, that putting together of God's word and walking with the Holy Spirit and fellowshipping and in prayer and a continued study, those things grow and you move through those four different soils if you do that and then there's fruit. So, uh, I'd like to just finish by reading a couple of sections of scripture. I had like three or four different ways to end this, but... Um, I think we're going to do this. This is, uh, you can turn there if you want to. I'm just going to read it. I'm not going to spend any time in it. It's two, two passages. Uh, one's in James. <clears throat> it's chapter 1, verse 21. I thought uh, ending a study about God's word with God's word would be a good idea. So, James 1, I didn't give it to Nick because I completely forgot. <clears throat> Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, which is key, and that is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. And uh, just one more. Um, this is Second Peter chapter 1, verse 2. I'll give you a second if you'd like to turn there. <clears throat> so Peter writes, um, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus, uh, and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. 
For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So a couple of verses about God's word and studying it, remembering it. If you, if you look into God's word and you walk away and you forget it, you're like a man who looked at himself in the mirror and you don't even remember what you look like. It, was, it didn't benefit you at all. It didn't, it didn't do anything for you. The word was snatched and you walk away unchanged. It's God's word, and we all have the same word, and we all have the same spirit, Holy Spirit. We all have the same opportunity. I'm certain in the verse in Second Peter here, um, that verse 5 on, it's just an idea of adding and adding and growing and walking and, and pursuing and enduring. So. All right, that's that. So let's, uh, let's pray, and we'll be done. Let me, Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth that's contained in it. Thank you for the the life changing, um, life changing truth that it contains. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, which illuminates these things. um, Who goes out and and does the work and does the changing? Um, I pray, Lord, what what was said here that was of you remains. and that we would today hang on to those things and it would do its work. And that would be true of all of us, Lord, just today, tomorrow, next week, anytime we hear God's word taught, that we wouldn't walk away and forget it, that there would be progression, that there would be understanding, Lord, that we would come to you with a heart desiring to know you, a desiring to learn, desiring to grow, that we wouldn't treat your word flippantly but hold it up and, and esteem it and recognize it for what it is. Lord. It's your words spoken to us. It's, it's life. Um, you, in it, we, we see you. We get to know you. We know who you are. There's salvation in it. There's hope. Um, there's restoration. There's redemption. Everything that we need for life and godliness, Lord, that you've, you've given us. And uh, Paul wrote in Ephesians, Lord, that uh, we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ and that maybe walk in that. So let's ask you these things, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen.